Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, what an exciting pod, we have Buffy McGuire, the founder of Lady Falcon Coffee Club. So she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Buffy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. What a treat. I'm so excited to have you. Are you ready to dive in? I am. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Pilot.com. Founders and entrepreneurs, fasten your seatbelts. Your startup is ready for takeoff. Pilot handles your startup's finance, accounting, and tax prep needs so you can be free to focus on what's most important, building your business. Now that's first-class service if you ask me. I'm, I'm going for a plane theme um, because of Pilot. You get it. When you work with Pilot, you have a dedicated team of US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs ready to support you at every stage of your hyper-growth company. And these aren't just any US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs. They've run the financial back office for thousands of startups, including Airtable, Scale.ai, and Lattice. Plus, all of your favorite financial tools like Stripe, QuickBooks, and Brax integrate with Pilot, so everything is kept effortlessly up to date and is organized as a well-packed carry-on. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. Buffy McGuire is the founder of Lady Falcon Coffee Club, an online specialty coffee company based in San Francisco's Ocean Beach neighborhood and a renovated 1948 GMC vintage coffee truck in Alamo Square. Raised in San Francisco, which is where her love affair with coffee began, first as a drinker, then as a cafe proprietor, then ultimately as a self-taught full-time master roaster, joining the 13% of professional roasters who are women. In coffee, roasters are the tastemakers and trendsetters. So Buffy dreamed of creating a specialty coffee company where she could share her knowledge with other women, travel the world meticulously and ethically sourcing unique beans, and craft original and delicious taste profiles. Lady Falcon is the fruition of that dream. Buffy McGuire, welcome to Non-Technical. Thank you for having me. I am so happy you're here. Obviously, I am a massive fan of Lady Falcon Coffee Club, which you know because we talk about it. I love it. And we first became connected because of Lady Falcon because I think, well, I know that I used to tag you in lots of stuff on Instagram because I would always visit the truck in Alamo Square. But then was it our mutual friend Amber that connected us or was that separate? You know, it all happened at once because you did the video Mm -hmm. where, or the little... What, 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 yeah, yeah, how yeah. would you classify that? What oh yeah, you, the video for sure. The video, yeah, the video. The video. Like, is that your viral <laughs> moment? Like you've had a lot. Well, you know what it led to was an interview with SF Gate where I then talked about Lady Falcon, and so yes. I think that might have been the catalyst. So the catalyst was that Amber sent me the video, mm. and then I reached out and was like, "Hey, this is awesome!" And then the SF Gate article came out, and then yes. we talked again, and then yes. we were like best friends. All yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And now I'm a diehard Lady Falcon Coffee Club fan. I am using, as promised, my little Lady Falcon. Is this fellow? Lady Falcon fellow cup? Oh my God, I'm so obsessed. I love it. Sadly, we can't talk about work stuff, but know that my deep and undying appreciation for Lady Falcon continues. I I feel it. (laughs) Good. So Buffy, tell me this. How did you spend your last day off? I just got back from Oaxaca where (gasps) I sourced coffee. Really? Yes. So my my literal last day off was sitting on the coast of Mexico and Oaxaca. Amazing. I have a picture of drinking, you know, a 
coconut and my two best friends joined me there after <gasps> you know after my coffee sourcing we soaked in the sun and we all it almost didn't happen like everything in covid yes, right yes and it happened and i just that was my last day off it was just you could hear the ocean we were eating ceviche yes. it was <laughs> guacamole is just to die for oh my god this makes me want to go to Mexico right now. <laughs> it's a must do. Had you been before? I have a, the same spot I go to. I think I've lost count, but I'm sure it's like, it's at least 10 times or eight. Oh, wow. 10 times. We're not going to talk about work stuff, but the <laughs> coffee there is, is amazing in the Sierra really? Madre Mountains because it's on the coast. So it has the coastal terrar and it's high. It's got the high altitudes. Like that's yeah. just a huge, wonderful combination for coffee. And it's still Mexico coffee is still like up and coming. I mean, in the past 10 years, it's making a name for itself for sure. Very cool. Wow. And so you said you've been maybe more than 10 times. Do you have any traditions around that trip? Is there anything that you must do every time? Yeah, I have a lot of things. (laughs) One of my ideas of, of having Lady Falcon is to merge work and play so oh, that I get yeah. to have both. And mm. I love traveling and and I love the beach and I love coastal life. So I always go to this one spot. You have to go down a million stairs and it's super steep. And I sit on this little beach and I know this is my happy place in life. Really? It's so simple. Like it's it. there's nothing fancy about it at all. And yet it is completely luxurious. Wow. Did you feel something special the first time you visited there? Did it take time for that to become a happy place? Absolutely. That's why everyone, like I've, I go there with my family and then yeah. I go there with my Usually before COVID, I would go there twice a year. I would go there mm-hmm. in January. To, that's a good harvest season. Not okay. talking about work. No, no, and then, I, uh, I love it. <laughs> and then I would go there in August with my husband and my sons. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. It was the trip we would do right before they would go back to school. Like just like the chill out trip. That's so special. It is. Wow. That's really lovely. Buffy, is there a fad, and this could be something fashion, cultural, workout, whatever, that you now look back on participating in that makes you a little cringy? Well, I'm sure there's so many. (laughs) I mean, I had like, I grew up in San Francisco. I wore a lot of Esprit clothes. What is Esprit? Esprit was this company, this clothing company. It was just like, it was like edgy gap kind of, but it was was like dreamy for, you know, a a 10 year old girl in the eighties. That sounds lovely. Oh, it was lovely. It was see that everything that was cringy is now having a legit comeback. So, so I wouldn't say Esprit was, was cringy, but I, I, I'm not sure I would wear that now. I had a short haircut, which I've never had short hair. How short? (gasps) It was awful. It was like, really? It was really awful. It was like fifth grade. And it was the wrong time for a short haircut. Mm, okay. Are we talking like a pixie cut, like a bob? How short? Well, I'm sure it would be classified as a bob. Okay. But my fifth grade self thought of it as a as a bowl haircut. So I actually had a pixie cut for a year in high school. Did you? Yeah. That's scaring. <laughs> Do you think that everyone who's cut their hair really, really short, were all the ones walking around with really long hair? I'm not sure. Well, I wanted to ask, what was it that prompted the short haircut? Was it a decision your parents made or was it one oh, that you it made? It was a total decision my parents made. It was a pain combing hair cut, you yeah. know, like, you know, all the maintenance yes. was was a pain. It wasn't my decision. In okay. fact, 
I thought I was getting a little bit of a trim and I had this really long hair. So mm-hmm. my hair's never been short since. The pixie cut was the shortest that my hair has ever been in my life. I don't think I would do it again, but I'm really glad that I did it because it was really fun and different. And I would say it's not that it was universally agreed upon that it looked bad, but I would say that (laughs) no no one went out of their way to tell me it looked good. You know, it wasn't tragic, but no one was like, wow, yes, do this again. What year in high school? I need to place this. I was 16. So I think it was the second half of my junior year into my senior year, maybe. That's kind of the perfect time for that, though. Exactly. So low stakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But did you find that shorter hair is more work? Than longer no. hair? No, so I'm lucky. My hair is naturally curly slash wavy. Yeah. And so when it was short, this was the easiest to maintain it has ever been in my life and will ever be in my life because I showered and I shook it out. And then I had a little spray that I put in and I ran my hands through it. And then I walked out the door and that was it. And it was a dream. And at the time I was working at a candy store and I had to wear a little visor. And so I just put my little visor on my pixie cut and went to work. (laughs) So it was so easy to maintain. Contrast that with now when I've got like a seriously witchy vibe happening that needs to be like serious time dedicated to it. At least it was low maintenance because my experience was that shorter hair was actually higher maintenance. Like it was just like, because my hair like sort of like it has a natural Mm -hmm. curl. Just anyway, it'll poof. Right up. Yeah. It was That'll happen. Yeah, probably. I feel like I'm overdue for a haircut right now. It's COVID. We're all overdue. I know. I know. But it really is starting to wear at me. (laughs) That's true, though. I think everyone is understanding it in in that department, at least. Is there a piece of art that could be like music, a book, fine art, anything, honestly, that has had a huge impact on your life? I love art and I love Mm. going to museums and I've built whole itineraries around going to different museums. Oh, yeah. You mean like when you visit a new city? Yeah. I mean, before I had children, I was always traveling and traveling through Europe. I double majored in government and art history. And my art history major was an accident because I just kept taking all my free classes in art history. I go to a museum as like a solve and I love going by myself. So the one moment that I think like was a real turning point in my life was I went to the, uh, I went to school in Western Massachusetts. I went to Smith College and it was a difficult time for me, Western Massachusetts from San Francisco, like culturally, Mm. just the weather, everything. And just being 18 to 22, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was like, wow. I mean, everyone in my family is either from San Francisco or Ireland or Sicily. Like really, we have no representation on the East coast and it was 3000 miles away. And this is before cell phones and before any of that. So one day I traveled into Boston from Western mass. I took a, like a Greyhound and I went to the Boston MFA. There was this huge quote on the wall in an exhibit. I believe it was an impressionist exhibit and it was Audre Lorde quote that said, it is a waste of time hating a mirror or its reflection without stopping the hand that creates glass with distortions. Whoa. And I had felt like I was on this trajectory, you know, Mm. how life, you can feel like you're on a track and the next thing is you have to do this. And the next thing is you have to do this. And I wasn't feeling like a willing participant in it. I want the life that I want to live. I don't Mm. want a life that like, it's just sort of like laid out for me. Yeah. And um, that was the beginning of me just going, you know what, I'm just going to create the life that I want. And, and I've, mm. obviously it takes a long time and a 
still a process. Yes. But and, and and then I got to learn more about Audrey Lord, who I didn't know. Like I literally mm. didn't know. I stopped right there. I wrote it down. Yeah. I pinned it on my wall. <gasps> it's been a guiding principle in my life of like, okay, wait, do I like this? Do I like mm. what I'm seeing? And if not, why? What's mm. going on? It's so deep on so many levels, on a personal, on a cultural, on a societal, you know, and obviously being a woman, but consciously I didn't bring all that to it. Yeah. I mean, I was probably like 20, 20 years old or 21 yeah. years old. And I just, I just brought me, which is right. <laughs> all about me. It really resonated. So it was all in that, that context of seeing art. And then it was just a very moving experience. It sounds like it had a huge impact on you. If it, it was did. then something that you've referred to again and again, I guess, you know, 20 some odd years now. Wow. That's really beautiful. That reminds me of some of the first times I saw Magritte paintings. I don't know if you're a fan of Magritte, but I'm like a I'm a huge, huge fan. We did a whole series of Lady Falcon shoots, uh, photo shoots that were inspired by, because <gasps> that was at the MoMA. It was at the SF MoMA. Oh, and they did, he, there was the specialty exhibit there? Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, and you know, so we had the, girls with the hats and then instead mm-hmm. of the apple it was the coffee bag <gasps> in their face oh my god oh that's amazing i love my great was it the colors was it the angles it's actually what a portion of that quote made me think of which is about the distortion of reality and who's creating it and I think that a lot of Magritte's work asks you, <laughs> this makes it sound like I know things about art, by the way, and I, I'm not, I don't consider myself someone that does, but I do think that looking at paintings by Magritte asks the viewer to ask themselves questions about what they're seeing and why and how real it is. And I, oh, that like gives me tingles. That makes me think, well, if that's not real, what else isn't real? And that's like a very exciting concept to me because it asks me to think about, well, what might be possible that I can't even see yet? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. That's so cool. Do you have catchphrase or other words or phrases that you say a lot and other people think are specific to you? Well, it's funny that you ask this because I was just talking about this with my my best friend because it's hard to be aware of the things that you say. Right? Yeah. She said that I say, God love them. <laughs> it's a Belfast saying. I, yeah. I got my master, master's degree in Belfast uh, oh, the really? first year after the peace process. And it really just means you're totally screwed. Like, oh, yeah. Screwed. You know, but it's just such a nice way of saying that. Like, <laughs> God love them. Like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> so I think that there's that and the sort of. That's such a good one. You said that your family is Irish and Italian. Yeah. My grandfather was from Palermo, Sicily, hmm. and my maternal grandfather. And then. The other three were um, Irish. My maternal grandmother was born in San Francisco. No way. And, yeah. And then huh. my paternal grandparents were both born in Ireland. But oh, my okay. maternal grandmother was, her mother was from, and her parents were from Ireland. Oh, wow. But you didn't pick that up until you studied there? No. My grandmother would say things like, you know, hell's bells, or that was like the worst thing she'd ever say. Like everyone would just stop. Like she didn't swear. Everything was super nice. Hell's bells is so great. That was her saying the worst word you can imagine. It was like everybody stopped because she didn't (laughs) use any bad language ever. She was very much of the of the mindset that if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Yes, that was instilled in me. My mom's big one was growing up. Don't say anything that you wouldn't want printed on the front page of the newspaper. My mom predicted Twitter, I think, is (laughs) 
<laughs> what ended up happening. Moms are smart. Yeah, it's good advice. <laughs> it's such good advice because you also realize how casual words can become, but totally. words can hurt even if they can get twisted and distorted as well as mm -hmm. reality. But yes, it's true to pick your words carefully. I agree. So what's the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? Like something totally inconsequential that you would really go to bat for? I mean, it might be combined with the other question, which about the kidnapping. <laughs> oh yeah. If you were kidnapped, but had the chance to communicate with your family and friends and needed to secretly let them know something was wrong, what would you say? Well, I asked my son this question because I was yes. a little stumped, right? Sure. As I told you <laughs> that my husband's like, this is like a drinking game. <laughs> Uh, I love it. And my 15 year old without a beat was like, well, if you said pee on the toilet seat, I would know that <laughs> someone had captured you. And I was That's like, That's amazing. That might be my tiniest hill, too. <laughs> That's a very important hill. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel tiny when you live with all boys. Let me tell I'm you. Sure. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm doing the heavy lifting for us all here. Seriously. Oh my God. That's so funny. Were you surprised when your son said that? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't surprised, but it was a good answer. It's a great answer. I would say that's a medium hill even. That's an important hill. Yeah, that's not a tiny hill. I can really join you on the don't pee on the toilet seat hill, like with no problem. I think I can get a band of us together. <laughs> I think there are plenty of people that would be willing to die on that hill. Yes. So do you believe in ghosts? I do believe in ghosts. Ooh, tell me more. Well, when I lived in Belfast, I lived in this house in West Belfast in the hills, the Black Mountain Hills. And it was a relatively new house. It had been built in the mid 80s, late 80s. And of mm -hmm. course, the conflict in, in Ireland goes back centuries. But okay. the troubles... That's what they call it. It's very the polite way of saying it. You know, the yeah. troubles really kicked off in the late 60s when mm. all of the peace movements and student movements around the world were kicked off. So, mm. you know, the hippie movement was really just something that was obviously international. It was yeah. Protests everywhere. So this also happened in, in um, Northern Ireland. During that time from 1969 to at least the mid 90s, I mean, the peace process and the peace treaty was signed in 1998, there was a subversive war going on and people would go missing and oh. never show up. There were never found, no one knew. And this was on both sides of the really? conflict. So it turns out that the house that I lived in was built on an unmarked graves. Like <gasps> this is where oh tons of people were buried. And I didn't know any of this, of course, right? I would be in the living room and then I would hear the furniture moving in the, oh in my the God. kitchen. Like, and we were on one acre of land. There was nobody in the house. Yeah. And things were moving, shooting off. It was, it was kinetic. Really? So even without knowing the history, you felt presences in the house. That's how we came to find out the history <gasps> because Oh One day someone came and knocked on the door and this is what happens in Ireland. People will come and visit you for okay. tea at 1030 at nice. night. Oh, <laughs> and they don't leave. Okay. I never felt so American as when I lived yeah. in, uh, in Belfast, but it, it is lovely. I mean, there's no beginning, middle and end. There's no like culmination. Like it has to be a meal or it has to mm. be anything. Everybody's got tea and cookies. In those days, everyone also had cigarettes. Slowly, this story started to merge. Oh, sure. This is where... 
this is where all the unmarked graves are. And they just paved over it. Oh my God. My first and most palpable experience with ghosts. Yeah. Did you feel relieved, validated, scared? How did you feel when they told you that? It's like I knew it all all along. The interesting part about the ghosts is that it never scared me. They were, weren't scary. I, I don't know how to explain it. It didn't feel like a menacing. I, mm-hmm. I just felt like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but when my mom came to visit me and my sister-in-laws came yeah. to visit me and a whole bunch of people... And I didn't tell them, like, oh, by the way, the house is haunted. It's probably a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. They all woke up the next day and they said, what's going on? Oh, my God. My mom was like, this place is haunted. I'm leaving. She wouldn't stay there anymore. So it was that palpable. My mom was there one night. She woke up the next morning and her bag was packed. And she said she's staying someplace else. My sister-in-law's. We're so freaked out. They were so freaked out. And I didn't tell them. I mean, that's not something you go around telling people. No, definitely not. Because then you're putting the idea in their head. Like, I could see myself arriving to a place knowing it was haunted and feeling freaked out. But if I didn't know, maybe I wouldn't notice. It sounds like even then, they were still super aware. They were super aware. One night, the stereo went off at three o'clock in the morning. Just turned on? Just turned on. You know, I was like, I couldn't talk. I was trying to like motion to my husband, like the stereo is on, but I couldn't oh talk because that was scary. So he went out, he was like a bas- baseball bat. Like he thinks there's someone in the house. There wasn't anybody in the house. Wow. The stereo just went off. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I do believe in ghosts. I don't think they're scary or bad. They can be a little loud. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Buffy, if you were not doing what you do now professionally, what would you be doing? Well, there's like a daydream of what I would be doing. And then there's maybe what would really be doing. Um, I could probably be in an, a private investigator. And that was <gasps> something I did before. Really? Yeah. I worked on some death penalty cases and I went to San wow. Quentin and I worked for an awesome criminal defense lawyer in San Francisco named Tony Sarah. I mean, that was like as I was figuring out what I wanted to yeah. do, if I wanted to do that. There's a world where you could do that instead. Well, yeah, I had been thinking for a long time about whether I wanted to be a lawyer. And I I had decided that personally, I did not want to be a lawyer. Sure. But the investigation stuff was really cool. It's pretty intense and pretty long. And actually, I have mm. a really good friend who does it. And she's amazing. It's a lot of work. And it's very oh, yeah. experience. And Absolutely. then my dreamy thing would be to be a film director. I would like to Ooh, be a film director. What kind of films? I just love storytelling. And that's something that I do incorporate into Lady Falcon. And hmm. our photo shoots are, I say fun. They're fun after they're done. But yeah. they're, it's it's fun, like, getting a vision onto this onto paper and onto yes. a screen and yes. on, in, in reality. And I'm into the surrealist, you know, element like Magritte and yep. Salvador Dali and mm. just playing with reality, but yet telling stories. And I think that people learn lessons in all different ways. And, and sometimes make the more surreal you make it, the more approachable it is. Like, did you see The Lost Daughter yet? That Maggie, no, based on Elena Ferrante's books. Oh, no, I haven't seen it, but I saw some previews. She did a really good job of adapting that. I mean, that's not surreal, but she's just really kind of captured different ways of looking at motherhood that are not mm. necessarily always explored 
And I, I think it's a very powerful tool to share stories and messages and and part of a long legacy of, of storytelling. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is a two-part question, which is, if we were going to make a movie about your life, number one, who would play you? Number two, should this movie be a biopic, so total life, or should we focus in on a particularly exciting chapter of the Buffy McGuire story? Oh my God. <laughs> What age are we casting? I don't know. It's up to you. Well, I can say my life so far hasn't been very boring. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Good start. Good start. All of the actresses that play, you know, women are beautiful, gorgeous, mm-hmm. and I would be honored for any of them. Obviously, they'd probably be, be brunette. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so they, um, so I don't really have like a one actress. I mean, Back in the day when Goodwill Hunting came out, a lot of people mm. said that <laughs> that I resembled Minnie Driver. Oh yeah, she'd be great. They're all so beautiful. So I don't know. I just <laughs> I can't really be like, oh well, you know. Yes, you can. Of course you can. Yes, you can do okay. it. You can okay. do it. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer yes, Lawrence. Perfect. Yes. Wait, okay. she would do an amazing job. She played an entrepreneur in the movie Joy in a way I that, that I thought movie. was really great, right? So she has experience with someone entrepreneurial and innovative. Okay, great. Jennifer Lawrence is a perfect pick. I yeah. wasn't going to let you get away with not choosing someone. Okay, okay. So <laughs> a young me, Jennifer Lawrence, she's obviously classically beautiful, but she's yes, yes. got a real sense of humor, I think. Oh, yeah. And, and she, she seems... sort of gets in a little trouble in mm-hmm. a good way, in a good way. So you think that'll be an element of the movie, getting into good trouble? Well, she's feisty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I've been accused of being feisty. Okay. So uh, <laughs> maybe you could do a film on when I started Lady Falcon. You Ooh, could do yes. a film on my time in Belfast, mm-hmm. which was a really fascinating time when I actually made a small film where I interviewed people who had lost people in, in the troubles. And really? as I part- said... Part of this story was learning that no one ever talked about it and learning about mm. how grieving works. Not that I know how it works, but hearing that not talking about for something for 20 years <laughs> isn't going to make it better. Yeah, yeah. Um, it and also out. just just that the need to to remember and to honor is a is a very vital part of the grieving mm. process. There was a quilt called the Remembering Quilt, which was basically modeled after the AIDS quilt, Mm -hmm. where everybody who had missed somebody made a square that, you know, oh, wow. people in the North will will quilt. There's a lot of the women that were quilting. It was gorgeous. And what started as sort of a community kind of like, let's just put this down, turned into this very big outpouring because hmm. they had never had ceremonies for them. They'd never had funerals for them. They had never named them. So a lot of times when I talked to them, it was the first time they had ever discussed it. <gasps> really? It was such an intense experience. And so then, you know, that was in 1998, 1999, and 2000. I went back and finished it. I came back home and I, and it was just really powerful. And then in 2013, I ended up losing my son to a brain tumor. All of what they said came rushing mm. in, in terms of how I wanted to articulate that and how I wanted to experience that and how I didn't want to experience it and Mm -hmm. how our society is really uncomfortable with death. Yeah. And death is sort of like this failure. And also it's scary. People don't want to hear about children dying and all of these things. But, but really what it was, was just the need to remember them and to Mm. honor them and to not shy away from saying their name. Right. So all of that came sort of full circle. So I, I don't know. Th- those are some 
some biopic moments. Absolutely. It's just weird how life can come full circle. Sometimes something that you're interviewing somebody about could come back to you in 20 years. Absolutely. It sounds like so much of what you experienced during that time when you were making that short film then has stayed with you. It did. As you know, you you interview people. I could feel the interview for physically. Mm. And I also felt so honored that they decided to share their story with yes. me because a lot of them had never felt safe to share it because the war was so divisive and there was yeah. so much mistrust. And I was legitimately an outsider. Yes. And but you offered them a place to share it. Yes. Which is something new for them. It was. It was was a, a phenomenal experience. Wow. Okay. So we could do a movie that, you know, I mean, there could almost be like a film within a film. It could be about you making that because then we would be able to tell their stories, but also your experience of going through it. I'd like that. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence could do that. Don't you think? She could. And she'd have fun with all the Irish accents. Like, yeah, sure. Legitimately, when I moved to Belfast and I was in graduate school, the first month, I couldn't understand anything anybody was Really? It was challenging? The accent was so thick. I was the American in the sure. graduate program, right? And I didn't take a single note. And I'm a big note taker. Yeah. I sat there. I'm like, I don't have, I am so screwed. I don't know what anybody really at all. The accent was so thick to me. And then all of a sudden it came rushing in. Did you ever feel yourself developing an Irish accent while you were there? I didn't notice that I had an Irish accent, but that does happen. Yeah, I think it happens to me. Really? Yeah, I have to really actively not pick up on someone else's accent. Really? Yeah, yeah. I can see that. But what why. happens is you start to say things in a way that you know they're, they're going to understand it. Like, for instance, you can't say yeah. cell phone because they're not going to oh. know what you... Uh, you mobile? You, do you have your mobile? Mm. And then once you say start saying mobile, you'll say it in that intonation. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. So you start structuring your sentences in a different way because you just did the need to be heard. Yeah. So th there's, there's that. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because you're, you're trying to say it in a way that, you know, <laughs> like they'll get, I really like God love them. I'm glad that that one has stuck around. It reminds me of the Southern. Oh, bless her heart. Yes. Yes. It's totally <laughs> like that. So you're amazing. so screwed. You're so right, screwed. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Buffy, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right sure. back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Pilot.com. Pilot makes bookkeeping, budgeting, forecasting, and other finance needs easy. We all know tracking and managing financials is important, but bookkeeping and back office tasks may not be every startup's area of expertise, if you will. And when time is of the essence, you have to play to your strengths. If you're an entrepreneur looking for the freedom to focus on your business, Pilot just might be the service for you. Whether your startup is just starting out or scaling quickly, Pilot has your back. As the largest accounting provider for startups in the world, they've supported companies from pre-seed to Series D. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Buffy McGuire, the founder of Lady Falcon Coffee Club. Buffy, we've arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. We've arrived at the lightning round. Are you ready? Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. You know, so this is the question that I ask everybody first. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> How do you take it? In the mornings, I take it with a little bit of half and half. Wow. That's a strong choice. I really love that. 
Someone came on recently and they said that they use half and half and they acted like that was very unusual. And I think it's because a lot of people use dairy alternatives these days. Oh, yeah. I probably should use dairy alternatives, but yeah. life's short. Life's short, exactly. <laughs> How much coffee do you drink in a day? I'm just, I'm curious. I feel like I'd be very tempted. It depends on the day. If I'm roasting and sample roasting, I'm cupping, obviously. I don't consider that drinking coffee because that's not like drinking a coffee. Okay. For like fun, that's like yeah. work. But yes. that that can be a, a decent amount of coffee, even though it's like slurping. Yeah. If you like, it's a cumulative slurp. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. I love the phrase cumulative slurp. <laughs> <laughs> Typically one cup, but sometimes okay. depending on the afternoon, I will have a a small, a small little petite, as I call it, a petite latte. A little petite latte. Mm-hmm. I love that versus the cumulative slurp. Versus that. I won't have both. There's no cumulative slurp and a petite latte unless I'm like going to write the great American novel. Yeah, exactly. Because my head's like, Well, maybe when we start working on the film. Yes. That seems like a cumulative slurp situation for sure, where it's just like coffee all day. Just bring it on. Bring it on. Exactly. I love it. Do you have a favorite board game? I haven't played board games in a really long time because there's always some sort of conflict when I was a kid that would arise from board games. Oh, really? Yeah. um, And it was usually Monopoly. Okay. As I remember it, I was always winning. I am the oldest sister. So that's what older sisters remember, right? And I remember that my little sister would um, tip it over, tip (gasps) the, the game over. Seriously? Yes. Oh my God. Right as I had everything. It's just like, whoosh. No. Yeah, so we had to stop playing Monopoly. I bet. Have you ever read a book twice? Oh yeah. Any book in particular that you go back to again and again? I love the the Brothers Karamazov. I don't know the book. Dostoevsky's. Oh, okay. It is an intergenerational story and it's just fascinating. Hmm. It's just fascinating. It tells so much about human nature and I learn something different every single time. And then I love Tobias Wolf. I love his short stories. You know, I just read a book twice. Really? Vendela Vida's We Run We Run the Tides. Oh, okay. And, and I don't know if you count reading it on paper and then reading in audio. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's twice, right? Yeah, definitely. Read it on paper first and then I listened okay. to it audio. What made you want to listen to it? after reading it? Oh, well, it's a story set in San Francisco about oh, changing cool. San Francisco. It's set in on the coast in San Francisco. So of course I'm like already, and it's yeah. a story about female friendships. And oh, usually a lot of stories are about like love and death and all of yeah. that. This one is, is, it's very lyrical. And also just the way that life is, you just sort of like get something the second time yeah. you read something. The one book that is I go back to over and over again is The Season of the Witch. Oh, what's that? It's the history of San Francisco. It's really? Literally, I mean, it's thicker than most, you know, Bibles. I mean, it oh is, my God. it goes back to the gold rush and it's fascinating. But all the characters in San Francisco, yeah. all of these eccentric people that have lived here and yeah. thrived here. I mean, it's a place of innovation since its inception and it's a boom and bust. Uh, region. Just boom, wow. bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. I'm not sure which one we're in now. Yes. <laughs> I'd say it depends who you ask. <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to check that out. Also, what a title. Oh, it's, you have to. I've probably read it four times. It's so thick. And okay. it's an, the audiobook, like 
my family was like, where did she go? Because I don't even know how many hours it is. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you have your earbuds in and, and P- our AirPods in and people are, they don't even know you're listening to it, but it's, yeah. it's a really good story. I mean, it tells Janis Joplin. Oh my God. And, it I mean, it's really cool. All of the crazy stories of San Francisco. That sounds awesome. Buffy, do you have a pump-up song? It varies depending. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there's not just one. It depends on which okay. stage I'm at and like. <laughs> but yeah. Salt and Peppa, it's really yeah. good for a, okay. a pump-up song. Love like, that. No, there's not one. I feel like different occasions require different types of pump-up jams. Yes. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. What's yours? I'm glad you asked, actually, because there's a artist I've been listening to recently that I'm obsessed with that I'm kind of wondering if you would like. Her name okay. is Queen Herbie. And she does, it's sort of like she raps. There's so much going on. She's an amazing rapper. Her lyrics are incredible. And then if you look on Instagram, she has so many fabulous looks. And then she makes videos in the fabulous looks doing her songs. And then one more layer, she has her own makeup brand. So she's also an entrepreneur. And so she does these like incredible eyeliner. So it's just like, I like her music a lot because it gets, it's like the beat. You're going to find out the beat is like very fun. It makes me very excited. But I also just recently like love her. I'm like, you're the coolest person ever. (laughs) I can't wait. I love new material. Totally. Okay, Buffy, this is my last question for you, which is sad because it means our conversation is ending. <laughs> oh, no. I know. But what would you title your memoir? Maybe No One to Hold Them. Oh, oh. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. That's really great. I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> no One to Hold Them, the Buffy McGuire story. <laughs> At least it's not God Love Them. No, no, no. That is, that's a sort of a, a kind comment that's not that, you know, it's not what you base things on. Exactly. Know when to hold them. Are you a big poker player? No, but my dad was a professional poker player. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know if I know a lot about the game, but I know a lot about the sort of philosophies behind, uh, of, you know, poker is a lot about life. Oh, absolutely. There was an article in the New York Times on Sunday all about poker and about oh, really? AI and poker. Oh, you oh have to that's so out. cool. I actually, I really like poker. It's fascinating. And it's all about how AI has conquered it, but but just about how many decisions are made in poker, mm. and which is just so true in life. You know, yes. just how many points at which there's just different decisions that just mm. di- shape different things differently. You have to read this article because my father passed away in 2017. So mm-hmm. I would have loved to have discussed the article with him. Yeah. But it was just all about how the the computers, so these big poker players are coming back and punching them their moves to this this AI big I don't even know how what the language <laughs> is, but to, sure. to see to map out what decisions they made were right, which <gasps> decisions they made Ooh, were wrong. That's and, cool. And it, it tells them like you should have put this much of the pot or that much of the pot. Wow, or wait, that's it, epic. and then it corroborates some of their stuff. And so there's just the whole conversation about how is this changing poker from being sort of this creative decision making. Right. Essentially poker is about decision making. Uh, being this creative decision making to being like able to sort of memorize moves in a in that are mapped out from AI. Much more like chess. Yes, but mm. they were saying that, that poker represents more of kind of real life simulation because 
in chess, like it's a, it's a board game where you can all, you can see all the moves. Yep. Yep. But in poker, you can't see what the other person has. Right. So you have, you know, so you have to make your decisions and that's more like life. You can't, I can't really see what's going on behind that, that veil. And I just also just the creativity of, of being able to make your own decisions, which comes back to the Audrey, uh, Lord quote really of, of just Mm. making your own path, which is an entrepreneur's path as you know. It's just being able to be your own person and make your own decisions and see see what that creates. So this is the perfect title. I, you've nailed it. This is great. I can't wait for this memoir. Okay. Me too. <laughs> Puppy, thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical. Thank you. Thank you. I love your show. I love what you're doing. Uh, it's an honor to be here with all of the great people you've had on. So thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. The pleasure is 100% mine. Where can people find more about you? Well, they can find more about me on Lady Falcon Coffee Clubs, our website. Love it. You said you have a subscription now. Yeah, we have a subscription service. Uh, so we can come to your door weekly, monthly. We can deliver two and a half pounds. You know, we have all these different variations. You can specialize it. You can stop and start it. You're completely empowered to make all the choices that that make it right for you. Yay. Okay, great. Well, I'm thrilled to learn about the subscription because seriously, I was like, I ran out of Lady Falcon beans recently and I was like, Oh no. (laughs) What what if I do that? So yeah, I can't, I can't wait to check out that subscription. And, and I'd also highly recommend Lady Falcon Instagram as well, because it's very pretty. You can see if you're missing Alamo Square, then there's lots of pretty pictures of Alamo Square. I know, I know it's it. And we're, we're, we're going to be building out a roastery soon. So. Oh my God. Wait, that's epic. Soon by San Francisco standards. Sure. So I'll be like, but it'll be in the outer sunset. So, oh which my is God, our that is so cool. Okay. Well, yeah. consider my roastery tour booked. I want a yes. full tour. I want a yes. cumulative slurp going the entire time. <laughs> we shall slurp. Yes, we shall slurp. Okay. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non Technical Pod on Twitter. One more time, Buffy. Thank you so much for spending thank some you. time chatting with me. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh boy, I have a review to read. This one comes from Lakewood Ranch Dressing. (laughs) Lakewood Ranch Dressing writes, the smallest till I die on, non-technical is the best podcast. Five stars. Alexis brings an energetic and comedic spin to interviews with her rock star guests. I love discovering a new founder or general cool person, that's in quotes, through her guest list, but at the same time, and even more so, seeing their human side. Thank you so much, Lakewood Ranch Dressing. And if you want to hear me read your review on the next episode, go ahead and hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. If you're feeling fancy, toss in a little tech lingo, a little corb speak, have fun with it. And you might hear me read your review on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.